file three of farthest north volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sharon riskadal farthest north by fridtjof nansen volume two chapter two the new year eighteen ninety five wednesday january second eighteen ninety five never before have i had such strange feelings at the commencement of the new year it cannot fail to bring some momentous events and will possibly become one of the most remarkable years in my life whether it leads me to success or to destruction years come and go unnoticed in this world of ice and we have no more knowledge here of what these years have brought to humanity than we know of what the future ones have in store in this silent nature no events ever happen all is shrouded in darkness there is nothing in view save the twinkling stars immeasurably far away in the freezing night and the flickering sheen of the aurora borealis i can just discern close by the vague outline of the fram dimly standing out in the desolate gloom with her rigging showing dark against the host of stars like an infinitesimal speck the vessel seems lost amidst the boundless expanse of this realm of death nevertheless under her deck there is a snug and cherished home for thirteen men undaunted by the majesty of this realm in there life is freely pulsating while far away outside in the night there is nothing save death and silence only broken now and then at long intervals by the violent pressure of the ice as it surges along in gigantic masses it sounds most ominous in the great stillness and one cannot help an uncanny feeling as if supernatural powers were at hand the jotuns and rimturser frost giants of the arctic regions with whom we may have to engage in deadly combat at any moment but we are not afraid of them i often think of shakespeare's viola who sat like patience on a monument could we not pass as representatives of this marble patience imprisoned here on the ice while the years roll by awaiting our time i should like to design such a monument it should be a lonely man in shaggy wolfskin clothing all covered with hoarfrost sitting on a mound of ice and gazing out into the darkness across these boundless ponderous masses of ice awaiting the return of daylight and spring the ice pressure was not noticeable after one o'clock on friday night until it suddenly recommenced last night first i heard a rumbling outside and some snow fell down from the rigging upon the tent roof as i sat reading i thought it sounded like packing in the ice and just then the fram received a violent shock such as she had not received since last winter i was rocked backward and forward on the chest on which i was sitting finding that the trembling and rumbling continued i went out there was a loud roar of ice-packing to the west and northwest which continued uniformly for a couple of hours or so is this the new year's greeting from the ice we spent new year's eve cosily with a cloudberry punch bowl pipes and cigarettes needless to say there was an abundance of cakes and the like and we spoke of the old and the new year and days to come some selections were played on the organ and violin thus midnight arrived blessing produced from his apparently inexhaustible store a bottle of genuine linea akavit lean eau de vie and in this norwegian liquor we drank the old year out and the new year in 
of course there was many a thought that would obtrude itself at the change of the year being the second which we had seen on board the fram and also in all probability the last that we should all spend together naturally enough one thanked one's comrades individually and collectively for all kindness and good fellowship hardly one of us had thought perhaps that the time would pass so well up here sverdrup expressed the wish that the journey which johansen and i were about to make in the coming year might be fortunate and bring success in all respects and then we drank to the health and well-being in the coming year of those who were to remain behind on board the fram it so happened that just now at the turn of the year we stood on the verge of an entirely new world the wind which whistled up in the rigging overhead was not only wafting us on to unknown regions but also up into higher latitudes than any human foot had ever trod we felt that this year which was just commencing would bring the culminating point of the expedition when it would bear its richest fruits would that this year might prove a good year for those on board the fram that the fram might go ahead fulfilling her task as she has hitherto done and in that case none of us could doubt that those on board would also prove equal to the task entrusted to them new year's day was ushered in with the same wind the same stars and the same darkness as before even at noon one cannot see the slightest glimmer of twilight in the south yesterday i thought i could trace something of the kind it extended like a faint gleam of light over the sky but it was yellowish-white and stretched too high up hence i am rather inclined to think that it was an aurora borealis again to-day the sky looks lighter near the edge but this can scarcely be anything except the gleam of the aurora borealis which extends all round the sky a little above the fog-banks on the horizon and which is strongest at the edge exactly similar lights may be observed at other times in other parts of the horizon the air was particularly clear yesterday but the horizon is always somewhat foggy or hazy during the night we had an uncommonly strong aurora borealis wavy streamers were darting in rapid twists over the southern sky their rays reaching to the zenith and beyond it there was to be seen for a time a band in the form of a gorgeous corona casting a reflection like moonshine across the ice the sky had lit up its torch in honor of the new year a fairy dance of darting streamers in the depth of night I cannot help often thinking that this contrast might be taken as typical of the Northmen's character and destiny. In the midst of this gloomy, silent nature, with all its numbing cold, we have all these shooting, glittering, quivering rays of light. Do they not typify our impetuous spring dances, our wild mountain melodies, the auroral gleams in our souls, the rushing, surging spiritual forces behind the mantle of ice? there is a dawning life in the slumbering night if it could only reach beyond the icy desert out over the world thus eighteen ninety five comes in turn fortune turn thy wheel and lower the proud turn thy wild wheel through sunshine storm and cloud thy wheel and thee we neither love nor hate smile and we smile the lords of many lands frown and we frown the lords of our own hands for man is man and master of his fate 
thursday january third a day of unrest a changeful life notwithstanding all its monotony but yesterday we were full of plans for the future and to-day how easily might we have been left on the ice without a roof over our heads at half-past four in the morning a fresh rush of ice set in in the lane aft and at five it commenced in the lane on our port side about eight o'clock i awoke and heard the crunching and crackling of the ice as if ice pressure were setting in a slight trembling was felt throughout the fram and i heard the roar outside when i came out i was not a little surprised to find a large pressure ridge all along the channel on the port side scarcely thirty paces from the fram the cracks on this side extended to quite eighteen paces from us all loose articles that were lying on the ice on this side were stowed away on board the boards and planks which during the summer had supported the meteorological hut and the screen for the same were chopped up as we could not afford to lose any materials but the line which had been left out in the sounding hole with the bag net attached to it was caught in the pressure just after i had come on board again shortly before noon the ice suddenly began to press on again i went out to have a look it was again in the lane on the port side there was a strong pressure and the ridge was gradually approaching a little later on sverdrup went up on deck but soon after came below and told us that the ridge was quickly bearing down on us and a few hands were required to come up and help to load the sledge with the sounding apparatus and bring it round to the starboard side of the fram as the ice had cracked close by it the ridge began to come alarmingly near and should it be upon us before the fram had broken loose from the ice matters might become very unpleasant the vessel had now a greater list to the port side than ever during the afternoon various preparations were made to leave the ship if the worst should happen all the sledges were placed ready on deck and the kayaks were also made clear twenty-five cases of dog biscuits were deposited on the ice on the starboard side and nineteen cases of bread were brought up and placed forward also four drums holding altogether twenty-two gallons of petroleum were put on deck ten smaller-sized tins had previously been filled with one hundred liters of snowflake oil and various vessels containing gasoline were also standing on deck as we were sitting at supper we again heard the same crunching and crackling noise in the ice as usual coming nearer and nearer and finally we heard a crash proceeding from right underneath where we sat i rushed up there was a pressure of ice in the lane a little way off almost on our starboard beam i went down again and continued my meal peter who had gone out on the ice soon after came down and said laughing as usual that it was no wonder we heard some crackling for the ice had cracked not a sledge length away from the dog biscuit cases and the crack was extending abaft of the fram i went out and found the crack was a very considerable one the dog biscuit cases were now shifted a little more forward for greater safety we also found several minor cracks in the ice around the vessel i then went down and had a pipe and a pleasant chat with sverdrup in his cabin after we had been sitting a good while the ice again began to crack and jam i did not think that the noise was greater than usual nevertheless i asked those in the saloon who sat playing halma whether there was any one on deck if not would one of them be kind enough to go and see where the ice was packing i heard hurried steps above 
Nordahl came down and reported that it was on the port side and that it would be best for us to be on deck. Peter and I jumped up and several followed. As I went down the ladder, Peter called out to me from above, We must get the dogs out. See, there is water on the ice. It was high time that we came. The water was rushing in and already stood high in the kennel. Peter waded into the water up to his knees and pushed the door open. Most of the dogs rushed out and jumped about splashing in the water, but some, being frightened, had crept back into the innermost corner and had to be dragged out, although they stood in water reaching high up their legs. Poor brutes, it must have been miserable enough in all conscience to be shut up in such a place while the water was steadily rising about them, yet they are not more noisy than usual. The dogs having been put in safety, I walked round the Fram to see what else had happened. The ice had cracked along her to the fore, near the starboard bow. From this crack the water had poured aft along the port side, which was weighed down by the weight of the ridge steadily pressing on towards us. The crack has just passed under the middle of the portable forge, which was thus endangered, and it was therefore put on a sledge and removed to the great hummock on the starboard quarter. The pemmican, altogether eleven cases, the cases of dog biscuits, and nineteen cases of bread were conveyed to the same place. Thus we have now a complete depot lying over there, and, I trust, in entire safety, the ice being so thick that it is not likely to give way. This has brought life into the lads. They have all turned out. We took out four more tin cans of petroleum to the hummock then proceeded to bring up from the hold and place on deck ready for removal twenty-one cases of bread and a supply of pemmican, chocolate, butter, real food, soup, etc., calculated to last us two hundred days. Also tents, cooking apparatus, and the like were got ready, so that now all is clear up there and we may sleep securely. But it was past midnight before we had done." I still trust that it is all a false alarm, and that we shall have no occasion for these supplies now at any rate. Nevertheless, it is our duty to keep everything ready in case the unthinkable should happen. Moreover, the watch has been enjoined to mind the dogs on the ice, and to keep a sharp lookout in case the ice should crack underneath our cases, or the ice pressure should recommence. If anything should happen, we are to be called out at once too early rather than too late. While I sit here and write, I hear the crunching and crackling beginning again outside, so that there must still be a steady pressure on the ice. All are in the best spirit. It almost appears as if they looked upon this as a pleasant break in the monotony of our existence. Well, it is half-past one. I had better turn into my bunk. I am tired, and goodness knows how soon I may be called up. Friday, January 4th. The ice kept quiet during the night, but all day with some intervals it has been crackling and settling, and this evening there have been several fits of pressure from nine o'clock onward. For a time it came on, sometimes rather lightly at regular intervals, sometimes with a rush and a regular roar. Then it subsided somewhat, and then it roared anew." Meanwhile the pressure ridge towers higher and higher, and bears right down upon us slowly, while the pressure comes on at intervals only, and more quickly when the onset continues for a time. One can actually see it creeping nearer and nearer, 
and now at one o'clock at night it is not many feet scarcely five away from the edge of the snowdrift on the port side near the gangway and thence to the vessel is scarcely more than ten feet so that it will not be long now before it is upon us meanwhile the ice continues to split and the solid mass in which we are embedded grows less and less both to port and starboard several fissures extend right up to the fram as the ice sinks down under the weight of the ridge on the port side and the fram lists more that way more water rushes up over the new ice which has frozen on the water that rose yesterday this is like dying by inches slowly but surely the baleful ridge advances and it looks as if it meant going right over the rail but if the fram will only oblige by getting free of the ice she will i feel confident extricate herself yet even though matters look rather awkward at present we shall probably have a hard time of it however before she can break loose if she does not do so at once i have been out and had a look at the ridge and seen how surely it is advancing i have looked at the fissures in the ice and noted how they are forming and expanding round the vessel i have listened to the ice crackling and crunching underfoot and i do not much feel disposed to turn into my berth before i see the fram quite released as i sit here now i hear the ice making a fresh assault and roaring and packing outside and i can tell that the ridge is coming nearer this is an ice pressure with a vengeance and it seems as if it would never cease i do not think there is anything more we can do now all is in readiness for leaving the vessel if need be to-day the clothing etc was taken out and placed ready for removal in separate bags for each man it is very strange there is certainly a possibility that all our plans may be crossed by unforeseen events although it is not very probable that this will happen as yet i feel no anxiety in that direction only i should like to know whether we are really to take everything on to the ice or not however it is past one o'clock and i think the most sensible thing to do would be to turn in and sleep the watch has orders to call me when the hummock reaches the fram it is lucky it is moonlight now so that we are able to see something of all this abomination the day before yesterday we saw the moon for the first time just above the horizon yesterday it was shining a little and now we have it both day and night a most favorable state of things but it is nearly two o'clock and i must go to sleep now the pressure of the ice i can hear is stronger again saturday january fifth to-night everybody sleeps fully dressed and with the most indispensable necessaries either by his side or secured to his body ready to jump on the ice at the first warning all other requisites such as provisions clothing sleeping bags etc etc have been brought out on the ice we have been at work at this all day and have got everything into perfect order and are now quite ready to leave if necessary which however i do not believe will be the case though the ice pressure has been as bad as it could be i slept soundly woke up only once and listened to the crunching and jamming and grinding till i fell asleep again i was called at five thirty in the morning by sverdrup who told me that the hummock had now reached the fram and was bearing down on us violently reaching as high as the rail i was not left in doubt very long as hardly had i opened my eyes when i heard a thundering and crashing outside in the ice as if doomsday had come i jumped up 
there was nothing left for it but to call all hands to put all the remaining provisions on the ice and then put all our furs and other equipment on deck so that they could be thrown overboard at a moment's notice if necessary thus the day passed but the ice kept quiet last of all the petroleum launch which was hanging in the davits on the port side was lowered and was dragged towards the great hummock at about eight o'clock in the evening when we thought the ice pressure had subsided it started thundering and crashing again worse than ever i hurried up masses of snow and ice rushed on us high above the rail amidships and over the tent peter who also came up seized a spade and rushed forward outside the awning as far as the forepart of the half-deck and stood in the midst of the ice digging away and i followed to see how matters stood i saw more than i cared to see it was hopeless to fight that enemy with a spade i called out to peter to come back and said we had better see to getting everything out on the ice hardly had i spoken when it pressed on again with renewed strength and thundered and crashed and as peter said and laughed till he shook again nearly sent both me and the spade to the deuce i rushed back to the main deck on the way i met mogstead who hurried up spade in hand and sent him back running forward under the tent towards the ladder i saw that the tent roof was bent down under the weight of the masses of ice which were rushing over it and crashing in over the rail and bulwarks to such an extent that i expected every moment to see the ice force its way through and block up the passage when i got below i called all hands on deck but told them when going up not to go out through the door on the port side but through the chart room and out on the starboard side in the first place all the bags were to be brought up from the saloon and then we were to take those lying on deck i was afraid that if the door on the port side was not kept closed the ice might if it suddenly burst through the bulwarks and tent rush over the deck and in through the door fill the passage and rush down the ladder and thus imprison us like mice in a trap true the passage up from the engine-room had been cleared for this emergency but this was a very narrow hole to get through with heavy bags and no one could tell how long this hole would keep open when the ice once attacked us in earnest i ran up again to set free the dogs which were shut up in castle garden an enclosure on the deck along the port bulwark they whined and howled most dolefully under the tent as the snow masses threatened at any moment to crush it and bury them alive i cut away the fastening with a knife pulled the door open and out rushed most of them by the starboard gangway at full speed meantime the hands started bringing up the bags it was quite unnecessary to ask them to hurry up the ice did that thundering against the ship's sides in a way that seemed irresistible it was a fearful hurly-burly in the darkness for to cap all the mate had in the hurry let the lanterns go out i had to go down again to get something on my feet my finland shoes were hanging up to dry in the galley when i got there the ice was at its worst and the half-deck beams were creaking overhead so that i really thought they were all coming down the saloon and the berths were soon cleared of bags and the deck as well and we started taking them along the ice the ice roared and crashed against the ship's side so that we could hardly hear ourselves speak but all went quickly and well and before long everything was in safety 
while we were dragging the bags along the pressure and jamming of the ice had at last stopped and all was quiet again as before but what a sight the fram's port side was quite buried under the snow all that could be seen was the top of the tent projecting had the petroleum launch been hanging in the davits as it was a few hours previously it would hardly have escaped destruction the davits were quite buried in ice and snow it is curious that both fire and water have been powerless against that boat and it has now come out unscathed from the ice and lies there bottom upward on the floe she has had a stormy existence and continual mishaps i wonder what is next in store for her it was i must admit a most exciting scene when it was at its worst and we thought it was imperative to get the bags up from the saloon with all possible speed sverdrup now tells me that he was just about to have a bath and was as naked as when he was born when he heard me call all hands on deck as this had not happened before he understood there was something serious the matter and he jumped into his clothes anyhow amundsen apparently also realized that something was amiss he says he was the first who came up with his bag he had not understood or had forgotten in the confusion the order about going out through the starboard door he groped his way out on the port side and fell in the dark over the edge of the half-deck well that did not matter he said he was quite used to that kind of thing but having pulled himself together after the fall and as he was lying there on his back he dared not move for it seemed to him as if tent and all were coming down on him and it thundered and crashed against the gunwale and the hull as if the last hour had come it finally dawned on him why he ought to have gone out on the starboard and not on the port side all that could possibly be thought of to be of any use was taken out the mate was seen dragging along a big bag of clothes with a heavy bundle of cups fastened outside it later he was stalking about with all sorts of things such as mittens knives cups etc fastened to his clothes and dangling about him so that the rattling noise could be heard afar off he is himself to the last in the evening the men all started eating their stock of cakes sweetmeats and such like smoked tobacco and enjoyed themselves in the most animated fashion they evidently thought it was uncertain when they should next have such a time on board the fram and therefore they thought it was best to avail themselves of the opportunity we are now living in marching order on an empty ship by way of precaution we have now burst open again the passage on the starboard side which was used as a library and had therefore been closed and all doors are now kept always open so that we can be sure of getting out even if anything should give way we do not want the ice pressure to close the doors against us by jamming the doorposts together but she certainly is a strong ship it is a mighty ridge that we have in our port side and the masses of ice are tremendous the ship is listing more than ever nearly seven degrees but since the last pressure she has righted herself a little again so that she must surely have broken away from the ice and begun to rise and all danger is doubtless over so after all it has been a case of much ado about nothing sunday january sixth a quiet day no jamming since last night most of the fellows slept well on into the morning this afternoon all have been very busy digging the fram out of the ice again and we have now got the rail clear right aft to the half-deck 
but a tremendous mass had fallen over the tent it was above the second rat line in the four shrouds and fully six feet over the rail it is a marvel that the tent stood it but it was a very good thing that it did so for otherwise it is hard to say what might have become of many of the dogs this afternoon hansen took a meridian observation which gave eighty-three degrees thirty-four minutes north latitude hurrah we are getting on well northward thirteen minutes since monday and the most northern latitude is now reached it goes without saying that the occasion was duly celebrated with a bowl of punch preserved fruits cakes and the doctor's cigars last night we were running with the bags for our lives to-night we are drinking punch and feasting such are indeed the vicissitudes of fate all this roaring and crashing for the last few days has been perhaps a cannonade to celebrate our reaching such a high latitude if that be so it must be admitted that the ice has done full honor to the occasion well never mind let it crash on so long as we only get northward the fram will no doubt stand it now she has lifted fully one foot forward and fully six inches aft and she has slipped a little astern moreover we cannot find so much as a single stanchion in the bulwarks that has started yet to-night every man will sleep fully prepared to make for the ice monday january seventh there was a little jamming of the ice occasionally during the day but only of slight duration then all was quiet again evidently the ice has not yet settled and we have perhaps more to expect from our friend to port whom i would willingly exchange for a better neighbor it seems however as if the ice pressure had altered its direction since the wind has changed to southeast it is now confined to the ridges fore and aft athwart the wind while our friend to port lying almost in the line of the wind has kept somewhat quieter everything has an end as the boy said when he was in for a birching perhaps the growth of this ridge has come to an end now perhaps not the one thing is just as likely as the other Today the work of extricating the fram is proceeding we will at all events get the rails clear of the ice it presents a most imposing sight by the light of the moon and however conscious of one's own strength one cannot help respecting an antagonist who commands such powers and who in a few moments is capable of putting mighty machinery into action it is rather an awkward battering ram to face the fram is equal to it but no other ship could have resisted such an onslaught in less than an hour this ice will build up a wall alongside us and over us which it might take us a month to get out of and possibly longer than that there is something gigantic about it it is like a struggle between dwarfs and an ogre in which the pygmies have to resort to cunning and trickery to get out of the clutches of one who seldom relaxes his grip the fram is the ship which the pygmies have built with all their cunning in order to fight the ogre and on board this ship they work as busily as ants while the ogre only thinks it worth while to roll over and twist his body about now and then but every time he turns over it seems as though the nutshell would be smashed and buried and would disappear but the pygmies have built their nutshell so cleverly that it always keeps afloat and wriggles itself free from the deadly embrace 
the old traditions and legends about giants about thor's battles in the jotunheim when rocks were split and crags were hurled about and the valleys were filled with falling boulders all come back to me when i look at these mighty ridges of ice winding their way far off in the moonlight and when i see the men standing on the ice heap cutting and digging to remove a fraction of it then they seem to me smaller than pygmies smaller than ants but although each ant carries only a single fir needle yet in course of time they build an ant hill where they can live comfortably sheltered from storm and winter had this attack on the fram been planned by the aid of all the wickedness in the world it could not have been a worse one the floe seven feet thick has borne down on us on the port side forcing itself up on the ice in which we are lying and crushing it down thus the fram was forced down with the ice while the other floe packed up on the ice beneath bore down on her and took her amidships while she was still frozen fast as far as i can judge she could hardly have had a tighter squeeze it was no wonder that she groaned under it but she withstood it broke loose and eased who shall say after this that a vessel's shape is of little consequence had the fram not been designed as she was we should not have been sitting here now not a drop of water is to be found in her anywhere strangely enough the ice has not given us another such squeeze since then perhaps it was its expiring grip we felt on saturday it is hard to tell but it was terrific enough this morning sverdrup and i went for a walk on the ice but when we got a little way from the ship we found no sign of any new packing the ice was smooth and unbroken as before the packing has been limited to a certain stretch from east to west and the fram has been lying at the very worst point of it this afternoon hansen has worked out yesterday's observations the result being eighty three degrees thirty four point two minutes north latitude and one hundred two degrees fifty one minutes east longitude we have therefore drifted north and westward fifteen miles west indeed and only thirteen point five north since new year's eve while the wind has been mostly from the southwest it seems as if the ice has taken a more decided course towards the northwest than ever and therefore it is not to be wondered at that there is some pressure when the wind blows athwart the course of the ice however i hardly think we need any particular explanation of the pressure as we have evidently again got into a packing centre with cracks lanes and ridges where the pressure is maintained for some time such as we were in during the first winter we have constantly bet with several similar stretches on the surrounding ice even when it has been most quiet this evening there was a most remarkable brightness right under the moon it was like an immense luminous haycock which rose from the horizon and touched the great ring round the moon at the upper side of this ring there was a segment of the usual inverted arc of light the next day january eighth the ice began grinding occasionally and while mogstad and i stood in the hold working on hand sledges we heard creakings in the ship both above and below us this was repeated several times but in the intervals it was quiet i was often on the ice listening to the grinding and watching how it went on but it did not go beyond crackling and creaking beneath our feet and in the ridge at our side perhaps it is to warn us not to be too confident 
I am not so sure that it is not necessary. It is in reality like living on a smoking volcano. The eruption that will seal our fate may occur at any moment. It will either force the ship up or swallow her down, and what are the stakes? Either the Fram will get home and the expedition be fully successful, or we shall lose her and have to be content with what we have done, and possibly on our way home we may explore parts of Franz Joseph land. That is all, but most of us feel that it would be hard to lose the ship, and it would be a very sad sight to see her disappear. Some of the hands under Sverdrup are working, trying to cut away the hummock ice on the port side, and they have already made good headway. Mogstad and I are busy getting the sledges in order and preparing them for use as I want them, whether we go north or south. Leave is two years old today. She is a big girl now. I wonder if I should be able to recognize her. I suppose I should hardly find a single familiar feature. They are sure to celebrate the day, and she will get all kinds of presents. Many a thought will be sent northward, but they know not where to look for us, are not aware that we are drifting here embedded in the ice in the highest northern latitudes ever reached, in the deepest polar night ever penetrated. During the following days the ice became steadily quieter. In the course of the night of the ninth of January, the ice was still slightly cracking and grinding. Then it quite subsided, and on the tenth of January the report is, ice perfectly quiet, and if it were not for the ridge on the port side, one would never have thought there had ever been any breach in the eternal stillness, so calm and peaceful is it. Some men went on cutting away the ice, and little by little we could see it was getting less. Mogstad and I were busily engaged in the hold with the new sledges, and during this time I also made an attempt to photograph the Fram by moonlight from different points. The results surpassed my expectations, but as the top of the pressure ridge had now been cut away, these photos do not give an exact impression of the pack ice and of how it came hurtling down upon the Fram. We then put in order our depot on the great hummock on the starboard quarter and all sleeping bags, lapland boots, fin shoes, wolfskin clothing, etc., were wrapped in the foresail and placed to the extreme west, the provisions were collected into six different heaps, and the rifles and guns were distributed among three of the heaps and wrapped up in boat sails. Next, Hansen's instrument case and my own, together with a bucketful of rifle cartridges, were placed under a boat sail. Then the forge and the smith's tools were arranged separately, and up on the top of the great hummock we laid a heap of sledges and snowshoes. All the kayaks were laid side by side, bottom upward, the cooking apparatus and lamps, etc., being placed under them. They were spread out in this way so that in the improbable event of the thick floe splitting suddenly our loss would not be so great. We knew where to find everything, and it might blow and drift to its heart's content without our losing anything. On the evening of January 14th I wrote in my diary, Two sharp reports were heard in the ship, like shots from a cannon, and then followed a noise as of something splitting. Presumably this must be the cracking of the ice on account of the frost. It appeared to me that the list on the ship increased at that moment, but perhaps it was only imagination. 
as time passed on we all gradually got busy again preparing for the sledge expedition on tuesday january fifteenth i say this evening the doctor gave a lesson to johansen and myself in bandaging and repairing broken limbs i lay on the table and had a plaster of paris bandage put round the calf of my leg while all the crew were looking on the very sight of this operation cannot fail to suggest unpleasant thoughts an accident of this nature out in the polar night with forty degrees to fifty degrees of cold would be anything but pleasant to say nothing of how easily it might mean death to both of us but who knows we might manage somehow however such things must not be allowed to happen and what is more they shall not as january went on we could by noon just see the faint dawn of day that day at whose sunrise we were to start on january eighteenth i say by nine o'clock in the morning i could already distinguish the first indications of dawn and by noon it seemed to be getting bright but it seems hardly credible that in a month's time there will be light enough to travel by yet it must be so true february is a month which all experienced people consider far too early and much too cold for travelling hardly any one would do so in the month of march but it cannot be helped we have no time to waste in waiting for additional comfort if we are to make any progress before the summer when travelling will be impossible i am not afraid of the cold we can always protect ourselves against that meantime all preparations are proceeding and i am now getting everything in order connected with copying of diaries observation books photographs etc that we are to take with us mogstead is working in the hold making maple guard runners to put under the sledges jakobsen has commenced to put a new sledge together Pedersen is in the engine-room making nails for the sledge fittings which Mogstead is to put on. In the meantime some of the others have built a large forge out on the ice with blocks of ice and snow, and to-morrow Sverdrup and I will heat and bend the runners in tar and steering at such a heat as we can produce in the forge. We trust we shall be able to get a sufficient temperature to do this important work thoroughly, in spite of the forty degrees of frost." amundsen is now repairing the mill as there is something wrong with it again the cog-wheels being worn he thinks he will be able to get it all right again rather chilly work to be lying up there in the wind on the top of the mill boring in the hard steel and cast-iron by lantern-light and at such a temperature as we are having now i stood and watched the lantern-light up there to-day and i soon heard the drill working one could tell the steel was hard then i could hear clapping of hands ah thought i you may well clap your hands together it is not a particularly warm job to be lying up there in the wind the worst of it is one cannot wear mittens for such work but has to use the bare hands if one is to make any progress and it would not take long to freeze them off but it has to be done he says and he will not give in he is a splendid fellow in all he undertakes, and I console him by saying that there are not many before him who have worked on the top of a mill in such frost north of 83 degrees. On many expeditions they have avoided out-of-door work when the temperature got so low. Indeed, he says, I thought that other expeditions were in advance of us in that respect. I imagined we had kept indoors too much." i had no hesitation in enlightening him on this point i know he will do his best in any case 
This is indeed a strange time for me. I feel as if I were preparing for a summer trip and the spring were already here. Yet it is still midwinter, and the conditions of the summer trip may be somewhat ambiguous. The ice keeps quiet. The cracking in it and in the fram is due only to the cold. I have during the last few days again read Payer's account of his sledge expedition northward through Austria Sound. It is not very encouraging. The very land he describes as the realm of death, where he thinks he and his companions would inevitably have perished had they not recovered the vessel, is the place to which we look for salvation, that is, the region we hope to reach when our provisions have come to an end. It may seem reckless, but nevertheless I cannot imagine that it is so. I cannot help believing that a land which even in April teems with bears, ox, and black guillemots, and where seals are basking on the ice, must be a Canaan flowing with milk and honey for two men who have good rifles and good eyes. It must surely yield food enough not only for the needs of the moment, but also provisions for the journey onward to Spitzbergen. Sometimes, however, the thought will prevent itself that it may be very difficult to get the food when it is most sorely needed, but these are only passing moments. We must remember Carlyle's words, A man shall and must be valiant. He must march forward and quit himself like a man, trusting imperturbably in the appointment and choice of the upper powers. I have not, it is true, any upper powers. It would probably be well to have them in such a case. But we nevertheless are starting, and the time approaches rapidly. Four weeks or little more soon pass by, and then farewell to this snug nest, which has been our home for eighteen months, and we go out into the darkness and cold, out into the still more unknown. Out yonder tis dark, but onward we must over the dewy wet mountains ride through the land of the ice troll. We shall both be saved, or the ice troll's hand shall clutch us both. On January 23rd I write, The dawn has grown so much that there was a visible light from it on the ice, and for the first time this year I saw the crimson glow of the sun low down in the dawn. We now took soundings with the lead before I was to leave the vessel. We found 1,876 fathoms, 3,450 meters. I then made some snowshoes down in the hold. It was important to have them smooth, tough, and light, on which one could make good headway. They shall be well rubbed with tar, stearine, and tallow, and there shall be speed in them. Then it is only a question of using one's legs, and I have no doubt that can be managed. Tuesday, January 29th. Latitude yesterday, 83 degrees, 30 minutes. Some days ago we had been so far north as 83 degrees, 40 minutes, but had again drifted southward. The light keeps on steadily increasing, and by noon it almost seems to be broad daylight. I believe I could read the title of a book out in the open if the print were large and clear. I take a stroll every morning, greeting the dawning day, before I go down into the hold to my work at the snowshoes and equipment. My mind is filled with a peculiar sensation which I cannot clearly define. There is certainly an exulting feeling of triumph deep in the soul 
a feeling that all one's dreams are about to be realized with the rising sun which steers northward across the ice-bound waters but while i am busy in these familiar surroundings a wave of sadness sometimes comes over me it is like bidding farewell to a dear friend and to a home which has long afforded me a sheltering roof at one blow all this and my dear comrades are to be left behind for ever never again shall i tread this snow-clad deck never again creep under this tent never hear the laughter ring in this familiar saloon never again sit in this friendly circle and then i remember that when the fram at last bursts from her bonds of ice and turns her prow towards norway i shall not be with her a farewell imparts to everything in life its own tinge of sadness like the crimson rays of the sun when the day good or bad sinks in tears below the horizon hundreds of times my eye wanders to the map hanging there on the wall and each time a chill creeps over me the distance before us seems so long and the obstacles in our path may be many but then again the feeling comes that we are bound to pull through it cannot be otherwise everything is too carefully prepared to fail now and meanwhile the southeast wind is whistling above us and we are continually drifting northward nearer our goal when i go up on deck and step out into the night with its glittering starry vault and the flaring aurora borealis then all these thoughts recede and i must as ever pause on the threshold of this sanctuary this dark deep silent space this infinite temple of nature in which the soul seeks to find its origin toiling aunt what matters it whether you reach your goal with your fur needle or not everything disappears none the less in the ocean of eternity in the great nirvana and as time rolls on our names are forgotten our deeds pass into oblivion and our lives flit by like the traces of a cloud and vanish like the mist dispelled by the warm rays of the sun our time is but a fleeting shadow hurrying us on to the end so it is ordained and having reached that end none ever retraces his steps two of us will soon be journeying farther through this immense waste into greater solitudes and deeper stillness wednesday january thirtieth Today the great event has happened that the windmill is again at work for the first time after its long rest in spite of the cold and the darkness amundsen had got the cogwheels into order and now it is running as smoothly and steadily as gutta percha we have now constant northeast winds and we again bore northward on sunday february third we were at eighty three degrees forty three minutes the time for our departure approached and the preparations were carried on with great activity the sledges were completed and i tried them under various conditions i have alluded to the fact that we made maple guards to put under the fixed nickel-plated runners the idea of this was to strengthen both the sledges and the runners so that they would at the beginning of the journey when the loads were heavy be less liable to breakage from the jolting to which they would probably be exposed later on when the load got lighter we might if we thought fit easily remove them these guards were also to serve another purpose i had an idea that in view of the low temperature we had during the winter and on the dry drift snow which then covered the ice floes 
metal would glide less easily than smooth wood especially if the latter were well rubbed with rich tar and stearine by february eighth one of the sledges with wooden guard runners was finished so that we could make experiments in this direction and we then found that it was considerably easier to haul than a similar sledge running on the nickel plate though the load of each was exactly the same the difference was so great that we found that it was at least half as hard again to draw a sledge on the nickel runners as on the tarred maple runners our new ash sledges were now nearly finished and weighed thirty pounds without the guard runners everybody is hard at work sverdrup is sewing bags or bolsters to put on the sledges as beds for the kayaks to rest on to this end the bags are to be made up to fit the bottoms of the boats johansen with one or two other men are stuffing the bags with pemmican which has to be warmed beaten and kneaded in order to give it the right form for making a good bed for our precious boats when these square flat bags are carried out into the cold they freeze as hard as stone and keep their form well blessing is sitting up in the workroom copying the photographs of which i have no prints hansen is working out a map of our route so far and copying out his observations for us etc etc in short there is hardly a man on board who does not feel that the moment for departure approaches perhaps the galley is the only place where everything goes on in the usual way under the management of lars our position yesterday was eighty three degrees thirty two point one minutes north latitude and one hundred two degrees twenty eight minutes east longitude so we are southward again but never mind what do a couple of miles more or less matter to us sunday february tenth Today there was so much daylight that at one o'clock i could fairly well read the verdensgang when i held the paper up towards the light but when i held it towards the moon which was low in the north it was no go before dinner i went for a short drive with gulen and susina two of the young dogs and caiaphas gulen had never been in harness before but yet she went quite well she was certainly a little awkward at first but that soon disappeared and i think she will make a good dog when she is well trained susina who was driven a little last autumn conducted herself quite like an old sledge dog the surface is hard and easy for the dogs to haul on they get a good foothold and the snow is not particularly sharp for their feet however it is not over smooth this drift snow makes heavy going the ice is smooth and easy to run on and i trust we shall be able to make good day journeys after all we shall reach our destination sooner than we had expected i cannot deny that it is a long journey and scarcely any one has ever more effectually burned his boats behind him if we wish to turn back we have absolutely nothing to return to not even a bare coast it will be impossible to find the ship and before us lies the great unknown but there is only one road and that lies straight ahead right through be it land or sea be it smooth or rough be it mere ice or ice and water and i cannot but believe that we must get through even if we should meet with the worst that is land and pack ice wednesday february thirteenth the pemmican bolsters and dried liver pie are now ready the kayaks will get an excellent bedding and i venture to say that such meat bolsters are an absolute novelty 
under each kayak there are three of them they are made to fit the sledge and as already stated are molded to the shape of the kayak they weigh one hundred to one hundred twenty pounds each the empty sacks weigh two or three pounds each so that altogether the meat pemmican and liver pie in these three bags will weigh about three hundred twenty pounds we each had our light sleeping bags of reindeer skin and we tried to sleep out in them last night but both johansen and i found it rather cold although it was only thirty seven degrees fahrenheit of frost we were perhaps too lightly clad under the wolfskin clothing. We are making another experiment with a little moron tonight. Saturday, February 16th. The outfitting is still progressing, but there are various small things yet to do which take time, and I do not know whether we shall be ready to start on Wednesday, February 20th, as I originally intended. The day is now so light that, so far as that is concerned, we might quite well start then, but perhaps we had better wait a day or two longer. Three sledge sails for single sledges are now finished. They are made of very light calico and are about seven feet two inches broad by four feet four inches long. They are made so the two of them may be laced together and used as one sail for a double sledge, and I believe they will act well. They weigh a little over one pound each. Moreover, we have now most of the provisions ready stowed away in bags. End of file three.